you're new with us, we're working our way through uh, Luke's gospel, and we come to what is often referred to as the parable of the dishonest manager, and it is a doozy. And so let's, uh, let's pray together before we have a look at it. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the timelessness of it, your word and the timeliness of your word, that it is true and it is relevant. And we pray that as we look at this text, it would prepare us for every good work, that it would make us wise in this world, it would make us faithful with possessions, and you would use us to leverage everything we have for the advancement of the kingdom. And we pray that you would now open up our eyes to help us to understand it and to apply it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a friend that I used to play golf with who loves to remind me of a particular moment in my uh, unimpressive golf career. Uh, I was, I was uh, slicing every ball, that is, it was going to the right, way right, uh, uh, hole after hole, and uh, we eventually came to a hole where there was a, a barn off into the distance uh, to the left, and so he says, hey man, just aim for the barn, thinking, you know, it's just going to beautifully move to the middle. It's a piece of cake, really, this, this sport called golf, uh, and I took a swing, and I hit it straight as a bullet right into the barn, and so, so now every, every time he sees a picture of me uh, playing golf, he says, hey, just, just aim for the barn. I thought about that story as I looked at this text because you look at it and you say, what is Jesus aiming at? He, 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 um, he, at first glance, it, it seems that he's commending uh, dishonesty there in verse 8 where it says, the master commended the dishonest mas- uh, uh, manager for his shrewdness. And he goes on to apply that story to his disciples. But he obviously is not commending dishonesty. But it is somewhat puzzling. Some of you asked me last week what I was going to do with this passage. Uh, and I said, well, well, we'll find out. Um, Luke 15, you might say, is the most popular parable of Jesus, the parable of the, of the lost sons. This is what you might call the most puzzling parable of Jesus. One writer says, there are knots in it which perhaps will never be untied until the Lord comes again. That's encouraging when you're starting your sermon prep to read a line like that. You think, maybe we should just go back to 15. There's a lot of good stuff in 15. Jesus' heart for sinners. Now you get to 16 and you're like, did Jesus just run out of ideas? Uh, did he lose his mojo? Um, no, this is actually a very good chapter, a wonderful chapter, a divinely inspired chapter. It's a very practical chapter. And so let's look at the whole chapter for just a second so you can see where, where it's uh, sitting. The, the whole chapter is mostly about money, Okay. Um, verse 1, you read, there was a rich man, and then there's a story, the story we just read. And then in verse 19, there was uh, a, a certain rich man, and then another story. In between is an interaction that Jesus has with the Pharisees, and verse 14 tells us that they were lovers of money. And he goes on to talk about various things, not just exclusively about money, but he's addressing them. So you notice in chapter 16, verse 1, our text today, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, He's wanting to instruct them about the use of wealth, about leveraging everything they have for the advancement of the kingdom. And then he rebukes the Pharisees and goes into this story that we'll look at next week, the rich man and Lazarus, and there it's more about the abuse of wealth. And it's a warning. Today is more of a wisdom parable. Next week is a warning parable. And all of it, this chapter, is mostly about wealth. Now, here are three reasons why this is significant. One is we need a biblical understanding of wealth and possessions. Nearly one-third of Jesus' 40 parables address money. <laughs> he obviously thought we needed some, some teaching on this. Right? Jesus would speak about making it, investing it, saving it, 
anxiety that's caused by it. And so wealth can be a blessing or it can be a curse. The rich and powerful may use it to exert control of, over people. They can, it can be a means of selfishness and self-indulgence, as the story we'll look at next week shows. Or it can be a great tool to, to serve others and advance the kingdom. Luke is weaving this theme throughout his, his, his gospel. Uh, in Luke 6, we looked at the woes that are pronounced upon the, the selfish rich. In Luke 12, we previously looked at the parable of the rich fool, who was, where Jesus encourages us to, 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 to be rich toward God and to lay up treasure in heaven. We looked already at, uh, in chapter 8 of the generosity of certain wealthy women who uh, supported the ministry of Jesus. And later we'll look at the generosity of, of Zacchaeus. So it's a big theme uh, that, that pops up again and again, and we, we need to think about this issue biblically. Now, the second reason this is significant is because when we talk about the use of wealth, as this parable shows us, it's one practical way for us to remember that heaven is real and that what we do in this life matters for eternity. Right. I think that's a quote from the Gladiator movie. Uh, I, I'm just thinking about that. What we do in life echoes into eternity. Well, that is true. Madonna didn't get it right when she says we're living in a material world and I'm a material girl. Maybe the latter part for her, but we're not, we're, this is more than a material world. There's, there's more going on. I bet you didn't guess a Madonna illustration uh, this morning. <laughs> but there's, a, there's a better vision of the world than just what can we accumulate and, and what can we do. We are, we are told throughout the Gospels to invest in eternity, and what we do matters. It echoes into eternity. And then thirdly, this is a significant text because it really is helpful for us. It helps us to think about how to be innovative and even creative with wealth, to be spiritual entrepreneurs, if we will, to, to invest everything we have in, in the, the spiritual well-being of other people in light of the eschaton, the last things that are coming our way. And so it, it's really sort of an empowering parable as Jesus is telling this to the disciples about how to use everything they can for the advancement of the kingdom. So let's look at this, this text in two parts today. First of all, the parable, and secondly, the principles. So first, the parable in the first eight verses. We see here, uh, uh, Luke tells us that there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called to him and said, what is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. So he's charged with some kind of uh, financial malfeasance, um, uh, some kind of wrongdoing, misconduct, and as a result, he is fired. The text says that he wasted his master's possessions. Interestingly, that's the same word used in the story of the prodigal son who squandered his father's property. And so we actually have three stories in a row about waste. The, The son wastes his father's inheritance, the manager wastes his boss's uh, possessions, and then later Lazarus, or the rich man, wastes his own possessions. And so as a result in this story, this, this manager is given a pink slip. The whole situation is very contemporary, isn't it? So some of you have had a verse two moment before. Hopefully not for wrongdoing, hopefully you were, it, was, it was the boss's fault, but nevertheless, we, we can all identify with a sort of crisis that emerges when you lose your job. You may be in a situation like that right now. And so the guy's got to do something. This fired executive is in a crisis. And verse 3 says there are two things that that he he doesn't think he can do. 
One is manual labor, and the other is beg for assistance. <laughs> He's been working a desk job, so he says, you know, I'm too weak to, uh, to dig. He hasn't been killing it at, at the CrossFit gym, apparently, and he's too proud to beg. So he's got to come up with a plan. He needs finances to support himself. He needs a place to live. So he comes up with a plan that he is going to make a deal with the people who owe money to the company. So he's blown it with the company. He, he's losing his job, but he thinks about, you know, I might be able to do something on the way out that would secure my future. And that's a very important thing to, to keep in mind as we trace our way through this parable. It's the idea of forethought. The idea of thinking about the future. Jesus wants his disciples to think about the future. And by future, I don't mean tomorrow, but eternity. To, to be thinking about in this life with all of your choices, with all of your resources, that the glory, glory is about to come. And what we do in life, as I said, matters. And so this guy tells this little story about a guy giving forethought to his, his future in light of his, his crisis. And so he comes up with a very clever plan. He basically cuts what is owed. So he cuts the bills of those who owe his master in both wheat and oil. He, 800 gallons of olive oil cut to 400. Scholars say would have been about three years of the average wage. It's what he cuts off this debtor. About a 20% reduction off the wheat. Still a huge reduction. And you can imagine those guys are his friends. Those guys are like, that's my dude right there. I owed 800, now I just owe 400. And the guy is very clever thinking, well, maybe I know where I could get a job. I know where I might be able to get a house. I'll take either a place to live or a job. Maybe he says they'll receive me into their houses. So you can imagine this hustler working all day long. He's on the phone. I'm not sure if you walk when you're on the phone, but he's tallied up about 15,000 steps. Uh, he's worn his earbuds out, and he has made a deal that is very shrewd. It's very interesting, and it was forward thinking. And so on the way out, verse 8, you can imagine him showing his work to his boss, and his boss looks at this guy and says, you know, I'll hand it to him. He's resourceful. He's clever. He's praised not for his integrity, but for his ingenuity. He's resourceful. He's, as we say, crafty as a fox. Now, there's several debated issues in this story. I'm not going to spend 30 minutes on the issues. It really centers the main one around this idea that this guy is praised in verse 8. He's a dishonest steward, and so people wonder about the, the ethics of this guy. Why is he praised? And so some have tried to make him an ethical figure by saying that, well, what was happening here is that he took off the interest that was being charged. And Jews were forbidden to take interest from fellow Jews, and this reduction of debts were, was, was a righteous act. But you've got to put a whole lot in this story that's not clearly in the story to, to get there, Right? Um, others argue that what he cut out was his own commission, and that, that has the same problem, right? We're not given that amount of detail either. I think it's best to simply highlight what Jesus plainly highlights. This guy is commended for his shrewdness, for his, his forethought, not his integrity. Like, we shouldn't read this text and say, well, if it advances the gospel, we should make some shady deals. <laughs> we should be like an Ocean's Eleven missionary and just... <laughs> 
uh, you know, or Robin Hood. Like, let's go steal some stuff and give it away to the people who need it and, and, and do all that stuff. No, he, he's not praised for his integrity, but his ingenuity, I think. One writer says that there is a legitimate moral difference in saying, I applaud the clever steward because he acted dishonestly, and saying, I applaud the dishonest steward because he acted cleverly. Or as Ralph Davis said, approval of part doesn't mean endorsement of all. Jesus commends the manager's resourcefulness, not his morality or business ethics. So he's commended, I think, for being a shrewd dude and for taking care of his future. And this is a theme throughout the, the, the Bible, right? To, to give thought of our actions now in light of the future. Prepare ourselves for a coming judgment. Luke is writing to his friend Theophilus and to the, the church at large, reminding us that we will give an account to God with all that we have, including our resources. Now, if you struggle with Jesus using kind of a shady character to, to make a point, it's helpful to know that Jesus does this in other places. He speaks of an unjust judge, for example, to drive home a point. Or he speaks of his own coming as a thief. And this, of course, doesn't mean that Jesus was a thief or that he's endorsing injustice. He's simply drawing out a story, a provoking story, a memorable story that will remind us that it's, it's really important for us to, to, to think about our future, to think wisely, even creatively, about how we might invest in ministries, in gospel advancement. And he's saying, all the clever people shouldn't be crooks. There should be some clever people in the church. There should be some resourceful people in the church. And we all know that, that crooks can be really clever. And I don't know if you've ever admired their cleverness. Uh, there was a story that happened in Liverpool where uh, three cook, crooks stole a car and then brought it back like three days later, had it washed and had a note on the, on the, uh, in the car that said, thank you for the use of your car. It was a really nice car and it really served our purpose as well and those kinds of things. And then they said, you know, for, for your inconvenience, here are two movie tickets uh, for you to go out and enjoy a night, uh, you know, on the town. And of course, when they went to that movie, they, they stole all their stuff in their house. They were waiting on them to, to go that particular night. <laughs> And, and you, you read that and you're like, man, those guys are clever. Um, we, we need some of those clever uh, baptized guys. Uh, who, you know, I've often said that the former drug dealers make great church planters because they're, they, they, they're hustlers, they know how to get things done, they're resourceful. Um, and, and so Jesus here is commending this guy's shrewdness, his prudence, his wisdom, his craftiness, his cleverness. But we do it differently, as we're going to see in a minute, for a different reason. It's not for self-interest. Uh, it's actually for heaven's interest. It's actually for the world's difference, for our brothers and sisters' interest. And Jesus, he commends shrewdness in another place, doesn't he, in Matthew chapter 10. But when he sends his disciples out, he says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, so be as shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. And it's important that we hold those two together. This guy wasn't innocent. He wasn't honest but he was shrewd. And so Jesus is sending his disciples out into the world, and it's a great big world filled with opportunities. We have certain gifts and resources that we can use, and so let's think carefully about how we use them. And that leads to the principles, three of them. First of all, Jesus draws out here the need to be wise and eschatologically minded with wealth. That word is a, a, a new word or a big word to you. Eschatology simply means the study of last things. So when you think about your wealth, think wisely and about the last things that are going to happen. About giving an account 
uh, to the Lord about reward based upon our faithfulness and those kinds of things. Think about what you do now in light of the future. His manager is commended for his resourcefulness, for his creativity, and Jesus says the sons of this world are often more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light, and that shouldn't be. The sons of the world, that's his description for people who are not Christians. That used to be us who are Christians, but the light of Jesus Christ has shown in our hearts and has transformed our identity. And so he says the sons of the world are often very resourceful, they're very creative, they're very innovative at times. Again, often for their own motivation, for their own self-interest, but that doesn't mean they have nothing to teach us. He's showing us that even this dishonest manager has something to teach us. And so we often recommend to leaders and church planters business books or books about startup businesses if you're a church planter, not because everything there is transferable, but there are lessons to learn. And so he says, the sons of light are often less shrewd, less resourceful, less thoughtful in dealing with matters like wealth. That's a very sharp statement, isn't it? Unbelievers are often sharper than God's people in the matter of using the world's wealth. He calls it unrighteous wealth. And consequently, great problems can be caused. Sometimes believers can be very naive and it causes great damage. Sometimes we can just be lazy and passive and mindless when it comes to investing and, and rather than being energetic and focused. Take the businessmen who are always looking at the stock market and who are always reading these books and, and always having these discussions. They're engaged, and Jesus wants his disciples engaged in the mission to have passion, to be zealous, to, to not just go through the motions, but rather to act prudently, as prudently with divine things as unbelievers do with, with earthly things. So let's use everything we have, as long as it's ethical, God-honoring, to advance the kingdom. Use earthly resources for heaven's purposes. Jesus does this sort of thing in the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. He, he tells the story of, of a guy who received five talents, a guy who received two talents, and a guy who received one talent. And the guys who received five and two invested, acted industrially, industriously, and as a result, reaped the benefit, a great return, and Jesus says, well done, good and faithful sir. But the guy who had one talent hit it in the ground for lack of ingenuity, for fear, for laziness, and he is rebuked. Jesus doesn't want us to be mindless, passive, lazy, but focused, energetic, thoughtful about how we do this stuff. I love the text in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Some of you may remember that study we did. It was before COVID, so I lost track of what year it was. Uh, 20 years ago, maybe, I don't know. Um, but the, the, the writer is given this uh, situation where he's speaking to, uh, uh, describing a situation, speaking to merchants, to businessmen. And he says, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. And then he says, give a portion to seven or eight. You do not know what kind of disaster will be on the earth. And he's speaking here, most people believe, of international trade. And he's saying to merchants, send out your goods in seven or eight ships diversifying your investments because one of those ships is bound to bring a return. Don't just put it all in one ship. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Don't allow the unpredictability of life to make you lazy or, 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 or passive. 
And Phil Riken calls this, spiritually speaking, being a venture capitalist for the kingdom of God. Think about how we can do whatever we can to get the gospel to as many people as possible. And when you, when you read church history, what you find is that a lot of the great renewals and awakenings, re- reformation, included not just the clarification of doctrine, but also creativity in mission. The, the very obvious one of that is the Protestant Reformation, which arguably would not have happened without the printing press. Uh, Andrew Pedigree has a great book called Brand Luther, which is about Luther's use of print and his expertise, actually, that he, he lived in print shops, that he understood the aesthetics of a book. Uh, he had Lucas Cronach painting things for him to get the gospel in, in the, to, to communicate it to the German people. And he says that Luther had not just the theological mind, but also an economical and commercial mind. And that's what it means to be this spiritual entrepreneur, to take what God has given us and let's think creatively, energetically, be focused, and do everything we can to get it out. My friend, mentor Alistair Begg, as many of you know, has the Truth for Life program where his messages have went out to thousands and thousands of people. But it wasn't his idea. And a guy just walks in his office and says, I think you should be on the radio. <laughs> and, um, and all of a sudden, all of these people throughout the world have been blessed by his brilliant teaching. Well, I think that's the kind of thing Jesus is opening up here. Eternity is real. What we do matters. Uh, we've been given a lot. What can, we, what can we do with what we've been given? Not for self-interest, but for others' interests. Eschatologically minded, verse 9, he says, Make friends for yourselves with worldly wealth in order that uh, when the wealth runs out, you, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. Again, use some of this slick manager's savviness, resourcefulness, to figure out how you can bless other people so that on the last day they will be overjoyed to welcome you into eternity. Do it until it fails. It won't last forever. Think through some ways that you can bless the sons of light so that when the sons of light appear in heaven before you do, they may be delighted to welcome you when you get there. Wouldn't it be great to have a high five from someone that you blessed in this life? We can't buy our way to heaven. That's not what Jesus is saying. That only comes through faith in Christ. But the Bible speaks about the blessed reward for obedience, generosity. We're constantly told in the Gospels to lay up treasure in heaven Now this requires faith, that is that you believe that's a reality, that all this is not just some theological mumbo jumbo, but that what we actually do has implications for eternity. We need to believe that. And that's how we live generously in this life. We're not trying to have heaven here. No, it's coming later. I I could tell you story after story of, of, of pastors and leaders and so on that have been blessed by particular investors who have caught a vision for a thing and, or they've heard of a vision and come behind that and empowered it and made it happen, they're going to be called friend one day. Or will some perhaps Ugandan believer thank you because you gave a micro loan to help them start a sustainable business or supporting the ministries of this church, the, the ministries that we're, we're associated with, people calling you friend on the day of Jesus Christ. These things matter, right? So think it through. We aren't to, to use wealth simply to make us more rich or to give us more comforts, 
but to advance the kingdom. And we can do this even with creative thought, wise thought, having eternal dwellings in mind. So that's principle number one. Number two, the next two won't take as long. Jesus tells us to, to be faithful with what we have. Verses 10 to 12. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? So Jesus says, be faithful with what you have so that you will have something greater. Again, there's a, a vision, I think, toward the future. And how you use money, the small stuff, is a clue as to whether or not you can be trusted with greater responsibility. Those who are reliable in small matters, generally speaking, are faithful in large matters. Sometimes you hear Christians say, you know, if I had a million dollars, I would give this much and do this and this. And as one writer put it, there's a really easy way to tell if that's true. What are you doing now with what you have? Because chances are your character doesn't change immediately when your bank account changes. This is an issue of character, isn't it? Being faithful with what we have. And that is those who receive greater responsibilities, especially true in the world of ministry. People who can't show up on time or fulfill basic commitments are not ready for greater ministry leadership because our character is built by little choices over time. You think about it, we tend to think of little things as, or, or these small things as not very significant. But Jesus is underscoring how significant they are. Being faithful in little things matters to Jesus. And it is producing patterns in our lives. Dr. James Baird uh, said one time that his seminary's president's first word to graduates was, graduates pay your bills, not preach the gospel because there were story after, stories after story of ministers not fulfilling basic obligations, thus besmirching the gospel. We tend to think of these little things as no big deal, but they are big deals. They're building patterns into our lives. It's revealing character. Verse 12 is a slightly different uh, issue when he there, there speaks of stewardship, right? If you have not been faithful in that which is another's, in other words, we don't own it. This is, these are God's resources. So let's be good stewards. It's a call to faithful stewardship. So as it pertains to wealth and possessions, let's be wise, eschatologically minded with, with wealth. Let's be faithful now with what we have. And thirdly, Jesus gets to the heart of the matter when he says, do not let money be your master, but place it and everything else under the lordship of Jesus. Here is the fundamental issue brought home, right? No servant can serve two masters. For he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus is showing us here that something will be our master. And you can't have two. Oh, we'd like to have two, wouldn't we? Jesus says it's either God or wealth. One of those will rule your life. If you've ever had two bosses that are radically different, you know how frustrating it can be to make, it, make them both happy, or two different parents or different coaches. And Jesus is saying, you, you can't have two. And if, if money is your God, you will do everything you can to serve it. But if Jesus is your Lord, you will do everything you can to serve him. Now, we shouldn't read this text. It's very easy to read this and say, well, I'm glad someone else got to hear that today. <laughs> Because no, no, one, no one tends to think they're greedy, 
Which is why Jesus previously in Luke chapter 12 says, he says, watch out, uh, you might be covetous or greedy. And I've quoted Tim Keller on this before where Keller says, greed is one of those sneaky sins that no one tends to think they're committing. Which is why Jesus has to say, watch out, you actually might be greedy. <laughs> like when you commit other sins, you know, you should know at least, that that was a sin. Like you don't wake up next to another lady who's not your wife and say, well, uh, I'm sorry, you know, you know that's adultery. You don't say, oh, I'm sorry, I thought you were my wife. Like you, you kind of know that you just did that, right? Or just go down the list of sins that you commit. But you see, greed is different because it's in your heart. And it's sneaky. And it expresses itself in a variety of ways. Not just in wanting more stuff, but maybe anxiety over it. Or being a workaholic. Or, or envying. Like it, 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 it surfaces in so many different ways. And you see, money and wealth is a great competitor to the lordship of Jesus. Because think about what money tells you that, that you will have if you have it. You will have safety, you can have security, you can have happiness. And the reality is, only Jesus gives those things to you. Only Jesus can give you the safety you think money can give you. Only Jesus gives you the security you think money can buy you. And only Jesus gives you the joy that you think money will offer you. You see, we don't need to serve two masters. We should take money off the table as a master Let's think of this reality. Jesus is an infinitely better master than money. Consider all the riches that Jesus himself left, that through his poverty we might be rich in him, that we have everything we need in Christ Jesus today, that he is enough for us. We remember the price that Jesus paid at the cross to be our substitute, to take our place. Unlike money, Jesus and Jesus alone can satisfy our hearts. Unlike money, Jesus alone can save you. Money didn't die for me. Money didn't rise from the dead for me. <laughs> Money's not coming again for me. Unlike money, Jesus never lies to you. He has your best interest at heart today when he tells you to live wisely and faithfully in view of the future. He's not robbing us of joy, he's giving us joy. He's also giving us meaning, isn't he? He's telling us that what we do in this life matters. And right now, he is preparing a place for us, those who are sons and daughters of light. And what a thought today to know that that's our identity, that we have been placed in Jesus Christ, the light of the world, and we are sons and daughters of light. And one day, John tells us in Revelation, we'll not need any light. And we will reign with him forever. And on that day, we will not regret having been resourceful and eschatologically minded. We will not regret having been faithful with what we've been given. And we will not regret at all that we submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. So Jesus here is teaching his disciples, helping them to be wise, that they may take everything that they've been given and leverage it for the kingdom of God. To not succumb to the temptations of the age, to get caught up in the rat race of life, of making more and more and more, and being all about ourselves. No, Jesus is an infinitely better master. As the hymn writer says, I will not boast in riches. I have no pride in gold, but I will boast in Jesus and in his name alone. Praise be to God for his word. Let's pray together. Father, make us wise, faithful, 
end times Christians. That we would use what we have in this life, invest it well, spend it well, Lord, to, to advance your kingdom, to be generous, to be faithful with what we have. We know we have limited time on this earth, and some of us, those days are growing fewer and fewer. So make us wise, as, as your word says. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would help us to, uh, to, to serve the world, to advance the gospel, to see churches planted, to help the poor and the oppressed through our generous sacrificial giving. And I pray you would open up new ideas and, and new, new opportunities even that we may get the word out in as many places as possible for the glory of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.